This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hey, everybody, David Lasondak here, author, fascist specialist, and structural integrator at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, here with another new episode of Body Talk. I know I said we were taking off the month of August, but this is so good. And the timing of it is so important. I just couldn't wait. I had to drop it on you today. My guest today is Brian Dengahart. He is an osteopath, he's a researcher, and he's one of the two masterminds behind the International Consortium of Manual Therapists. This is a really exciting group that is going to have their first webinar this October, followed up by an in-person and virtual conference in May of 2022. So if you're an osteopath, a chiropractor, a massage therapist, a physical therapist, or a structural integrator, or another type of manual therapist who falls in between those labels, you're going to want to stay tuned and share it with your colleagues. Coming up now on Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Body Talk, and I'm very, very happy today to have as my guest, osteopath and co-founder of the International Consortium of Manual Therapies, Brian Dengahart. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's great to be with you. Thanks. Uh, before we even get to the consortium, how did you actually go about becoming an osteopath? Was it a direct route for you, or um, how did that uh, come about? Well, thanks for the question. Um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and really at, at that time, there were not very many osteopathic physicians practicing. Uh, and so I really didn't know anything about it when I began considering medicine as a career in high school. Um, when I was in college, a friend of mine had an uncle who was in practice in Pennsylvania and, and kind of told me a little bit about it and kind of seemed, well, you know, kind of sounds a little bit like chiropractic. And so I decided to read a book called The D.O. Um, Osteopathic Medicine in America uh, by Norman Gevitz. And, and that book actually really changed my life uh, because when I was reading it and, and I, I, I was interested in, in general surgery, I like to use my hands when I do my work. Um, he, he basically, you know, opened up an understanding that, you know, the hands can be used uh, in many ways uh, for diagnostic purposes, as well as for treatment purposes. And, and um, and also can be a doorway to understanding more things about a person than just their physical body. Uh, so, so how old were you? How old were you when you read that? Uh, so I was in college. Okay. Yeah. So I was in the process of taking my MCATs and applying to medical school. And, so and when I read that. it, I, I, I thought about it and it's like, well, why would I want to join a profession that didn't include this because it just seemed like one additional tool that was critical to really help patients get better uh, to be healthy. And so I applied to osteopathic medical schools. 
uh, was accepted. Uh, went through my my training program, still intending to be a general surgeon. Went through my internship, and I realized that that um, at that time I wasn't as confident with my manual skills, both diagnostically and therapeutically, as I thought I needed to be to carry on throughout my career. And when I go into surgery, that's something that when you get into surgery, you got to do surgery and never stop. And so I decided to take a residency in, in osteopathic manipulative medicine at the founding college in Kirksville, Missouri. Uh, during those two years, I, I, I began doing research in middle ear infections in children. And all of a sudden, it, it just became quite apparent that what was holding back medicine in regards to manual medicine or the field of manual therapy was the fact that there wasn't adequate research um, looking at you know, what it does and what the outcomes that come from it. So, so where, just, where, what time frame would this be when you're saying there wasn't adequate research? The so 90s, we're the talking 80s? about around 1990. Okay. Um, and there were a lot of articles coming out at that time, you know, basically calling for the need for research uh, in, the, in the, the field. NIH was just beginning to recognize um, complementary and alternative medicines, one of them being uh, manual therapies. And so there was a, a, a kind of an, an environment going on at the time, really calling out the need for science within a field that had been in existence for centuries, for sure. But in America, for a good, a good century within the osteopathic and chiropractic professions. So, so you brought up something interesting. Uh, you said that osteopathy existed in the United States for about a century, but in other countries or cultures, perhaps centuries longer than that. Um, that's the first time I've heard that mentioned in reference to osteopathy. Could you dig into that a little deeper? Well, the, the history of, of using the hands for therapeutic purposes certainly oh. goes back, you know. As old as, as, old as hands themselves, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the Romans have, have illustrations of that. And it has kind of waxed and waned through the centuries in regards to its utilization. And it really, it had fallen out of, of favor for several uh, centuries, kind of from the Middle Ages. Um, there was certainly a movement in, in, in Sweden in the 1800s, but in the United States, it was, you know, in the 1870s, particularly with Andrew Taylor Still, who was an MD, uh, practicing on uh, in as a kind of pioneer doctor in the Midwest, uh, who found that the traditional models for treating his patients were not being successful. It was getting people more addicted than it was in curing their conditions. That really kind of resurrected the understanding of the use of hands for therapeutic purposes in the United States. Yeah, and I believe uh, Dr. Taylor still used to call what he did bone setting, is that right? He initially called it bone setting, that's correct, which kind of connected him to earlier, um, you know, providers of, of that type of care. Mm -hmm. So so you're 
there in the 90s saying, we need to do more research in this field. So what was your next move? Well, the, the uh, college, uh, the Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine gave me an opportunity to join the faculty uh, with a commitment that they would help support me uh, in doing research within the field. And unfortunately, they did not have a lot of experience in doing that. And most of my first 10 years of my career was, you know, dabbling a little bit here and there in research, but it was more the typical academic and administrative responsibilities. And after my 10 years, I basically said, you know, this is not going the way we had originally planned. You know, I need to make some changes. I got to, you know, really engage in the research uh, aspects of manual therapies. And as a result, uh, we were able to establish the AT Still Research Institute, uh, whose primary purpose is to do clinical and translational research at that time, particularly in osteopathic manipulative medicine and in geriatric medicine. Um, and within a year of that, I also decided to take my clinical practice off campus and actually moved to an integrative medicine practice in Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, which opened up the door to so many different fields that I oh, had yes. no experience in. So that that's that was that the where the seed of collaboration started to get planted in you from that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had uh, chiropractors, structural integration providers, applied kinesiologists, um, uh, Pilates uh, and exercise um, physiologists and kinesiologists, um, uh, psychotherapists. It was a dynamic uh, uh, environment which really opened up the door to, to uh, kind of breaking down some of my, my traditional biases that I kind of got when I was trained in yeah, regards to one profession or another. Mm -hmm. We do. So for those of our listeners who know the term osteopathy, but may be less familiar with it, can you contextualize it? Because uh, people think, oh, isn't that the same as chiropractic or is, are they doing soft tissue? So how is it different than this? Uh, but it is. So just really quickly, could you kind of explain uh, what your particular lane is in that regard? Yeah. So there's two common statements I hear. One, oh, you're a chiropractor chiropractor, or you know, you're, you're an, an orthopedic doctor. You just tr treat bone problems. Um, I, I really look at it this way. The term osteopathy, where, the, where people think bone and disease, it really, the osteo part really defines the body structure. And the bone is, is really kind of the hardest of all of those structures and have as a result significant influence on the structure. Um, but it is, it is a descriptor that's far broader than just bone. It's really the body structure. And the pathology or the pathy part of osteopathy, when it was originally defined, was not meant to, to be disease, but the means in which disease is treated. So it really, osteopathy is really how we use structure as a way to treat disease. So we use our hands to diagnose the structure, to look at 
you know, the bones, the muscles, the tone of muscles, the tightness of connective tissue to identify where there are, you know, uh, functional problems, functional difficulties of the body, then use the hands to change the structure in order to improve the function. Okay. So I, I can see where in that regard, there's a lot of overlap with other forms of manual therapies and manual medicines. So you're in this integrative clinic. Sounds very similar to the integrative clinic that I, I currently work at. And uh, you're having your, your biases challenged and you're learning how to collaborate. What was that like? Well, um, fortunately, I, I think my general attitude is you can say whatever you want and I will out, outright just kind of accept it at face mm -hmm. value, mm -hmm. but then you need to show me, you know. Yeah, yeah you got to back it up with results. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and having worked, you know, on the same patients, you know, we shared a lot of patients within this clinic. Mm -hmm. um, I really got to learn, you know, the value of so many different approaches. Um, and, and the reality is when it comes to the hands, there are really only a limited number of things that it can do. It can push into the body, it can pull the body or stretch the body or can twist it. And everything is just a variation of one of those three similar things. And, and just because I do it based off an osteopathic model or somebody does it as a massage therapist or mm -hmm. structural sure. integration person, chiropractor, does that mean that it's different? I, I, I don't think it is as different as we really think. That, that, that's an enlightened attitude. It's like, well, they, they do pull, push, twist therapy. We do twist, push, pull therapy. You see the difference, right? <laughs> and, and we have heard those arguments year after year <laughs> from different people that developed, you know, a different model that they mm -hmm. think is new. And all it is is just kind of repackaging things a little differently. Yeah, a little bit differently, branding it differently. And I, I think we're in the I think we're in the nadir of of, of branding right now. And, and you're actually trying to do something rather radical in that regard. Is you and Paul Stanley from the University of Arizona are trying to pull the different strands of manual therapy together and not, not so much to consolidate but to collaborate and move us forward together as opposed to uh, branding ourselves into obscurity. Uh, that's a huge undertaking. How, how, did you, how did you come about doing that? Well, Paul what, was the spark? what was the spark? Yeah, so Paul Stanley is a basic scientist, a physiologist at the University of Arizona. And he came to an osteopathic university called Midwestern University there in Phoenix and, and began asking questions about the osteopathic model and said, you know, I should be able to do research in this field. And he, he went from a cardiovascular physiologist in doing manual medicine research. And it, it was through that that our paths began to cross and it, we, our path uh, came together at the first uh, fascia congress in Boston in 2007, where he was one of the keynote speakers representing the basic scientists. And he, you know, listened to you know us clinicians, clinician researchers about what we do, and 
and from a variety of different perspectives. And at the end of the meeting, you know, he 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 had a very sobering statement to those who are in the audience. Basically, said, you know, I really appreciate all the work that you do. And once again, at face value, I, I accept it as being you know meaningful, therapeutic. But there's no way that I can do any research in this because you all are all over the place in what you think you do and how you name what you do. You know, there's just no way to apply a scientific model or a method to what you are doing. You really need to, you know, uh, uh, start addressing some pretty fundamental issues with, with things. And one of the most fundamental issues is the fact we don't have a similar nomenclature. Yeah. You know, once again, if you only push, pull and twist in a variety of different directions, but you don't call it or you call all those things something different, then how, how do you ever, you know, be able to characterize it, quantify it and so forth? I've done a lot of, you know, research and, and reading of research within the field. And, you know, I've spent 30 years in this field doing this line of work. And just last week, I read a, a, an article and I had no idea what was done in the article because the nomenclature was so nice uh, within a particular that. profession. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, you know, from the very beginning with Paul and I, that was, you know, an, uh, a unifying goal. And then we met with Francesco Saratelli uh, at that time, a DO in Italy, who now has gotten his PhD in neurosciences. Um, um, and we began doing some conferences together and we were, we had just a very successful conference in Italy. Where do we go from here? And we said, well, we can expand here, go there. And we said, well, after looking back, it's like, you know what would really make a difference instead of just being isolated within the osteopathic profession is to actually bring us all together for the betterment of both our patient care and for scientific understanding, a, a program, a, a direction that allows manual therapy to come together and really uh, begin to look at its issues uh, in defining its mechanisms of action, its efficacy and so forth. So at some point between you and Paul, you began to coalesce this idea of bringing together all these different strands of manual therapy under one roof. And then it kind of got blindsided a little bit by this coronavirus scenario, correct? Yes, it did. Just like everything else in society. <laughs> yeah. So, so the push right now is to actually have an in-person first conference in 2022. And I, I would be disingenuous uh, if I didn't remark that, that I jumped on this train last summer and got involved with, uh, with you all to make this happen. Uh, and I have to say, in some ways, I'm really glad because it gave us more time to get it together. Uh, it's been a pretty chewy process. Yes, it, it, uh, in, in many ways, there are some benefits that have come out of COVID. Um, hopefully we've all recognized the importance of, of interacting with family and, and, and getting outside and being with the people that are most important with us and, and staying close to them instead of just wandering 
you know, all over the place at any time. But uh, I think ICMT definitely uh, has benefited from this because uh, this has been a far bit bigger undertaking than we had originally anticipated. Uh, as you have indicated, the, the ideas here were not novel to us. Uh, there have been people that, you know, uh, been at talking and, and challenging us. Tom Finley is a good example of an MD, became structural integration pr practitioner who is very much engaged with the DOs and everything. And in the Fascia Congress really encouraged, you know, people across disciplines and professions to, to get engaged in collaborative activities. Um, and, it, and it was really at the, um, maybe it was the third Fascia Congress, which was in Vancouver. Yes. yes. Um, where we had a panel that both, uh, that I led and Paul was on the panel talking about, you know, palpation and, and characterizing that. And there seemed to be, we left that meeting with a bit of a, uh, and I thought that that was going to be picked up and it was going to be pursued and it never was. Uh, there were supposed to be white papers that came out and they never did. And, and yeah. certainly in the Washington, D.C. Fashion Congress, with the challenges at the end with the end provider, <laughs> you yeah. know, once yeah. again, very negative. So, yeah, um, it was. And I'll tell you where the research is being done, at least what I've discovered, is in the field of haptics because of our phones and our touchscreens. And I'm, I'm hoping to get as a guest on the pod later this fall, um, as somebody from uh, a haptics lab uh, who did some groundbreaking, uh, Darren Lapomi and his group. Uh, he did this experiment where they created a, a neutral substance because part of when we, when we palpate, when we feel something, paper, wood, metal, they have a different interaction with the environment in terms of heat conductivity. So part of touching paper, wood, or metal is the heat that it gets off, regardless of the ambient temperature. So they're like, how can we create a molecularly neutral substance and then create strips of it and make one of them one molecular layer thicker than the others and have people just rub their fingers on them and say, which one's different? Are any of them different? And what they found when they did this was they got somewhere in the neighborhood of 73% accuracy being able to distinguish a one molecular layer difference in thickness among the general population. So it's there. So when people poo-poo palpation, I don't think they know what they're talking about. Yeah, I agree. The 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 amount of work that has been done in the basic scientists uh, recently in the field of haptics is just opening up a whole new understanding of what palpation has uh, the potential of doing. Um, it could be everywhere from a very gross, uh, you know, assessment of just muscle tightness or restricted of a bony motion, all the way down to nuances of, of uh, electrical impulses or, or magnetic, you know, interchanges. Uh, all of those have some foundation within the scientific community and deserves appropriate investigation. And from my perspective, that appropriate investigation needs to include the manual therapists that are doing the work, who, who have developed skills 
from experience of working with many, many people to be, to be an active contributor to that scientific process. So I'm a manual therapist listening to this podcast right now, and I'm really intrigued about the idea of this conference. Why should I go? I think it's going to just open up a whole different level of your understanding of your daily work, because it's going to challenge you and, and open up your mind in regards to what is it that your hands are really doing? And, and what are the questions I should be asking as I do my work to better understand what is really happening? I think we all have gotten very comfortable working with our specific general models of what we're doing with our hands. But the, all of those models are just shadows of, of, of what's on the cave wall, as Plato had talked about it, what's really happening. Yeah. And we really need to break, you know, to once again, first learn how to communicate of how we see these shadows or that elephant in the room. And we're all touching a different part of that elephant, not realizing it's all the same thing. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, that coming to this, engaging with a spirit of curiosity uh, and, and delight that you may see it in a completely different but complementary way, as opposed to having to be right, is, is key to an endeavor like this. Well, absolutely. You know, th this is a, th that has been a problem in the past where, where people will get into conversations with differing opinions and it becomes personal, it becomes who's right, who's wrong. And that is not the environment that the ICMT is, is, is supporting at all. We are looking at a multidisciplinary, interprofessional, collaborative environment uh, where people's opinions are respected, that they're given the venue to communicate their thoughts, um, but everybody is also willing to be challenged in a in a not a, in, in an open and kind of evidence based model, and to be able to say most of the time we should be saying, well, we just don't know, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, because the research isn't there. We're just developing technologies now to be able to actually look at the questions that we've been trying to answer for for decades. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of hypotheses out there. Uh, but yeah, we, we just don't know. It does tend to work most of the time or we wouldn't we wouldn't be employed in the way that we are. But I think um, I, I always tell my patients when they get off the table and I, I get them up and down frequently so they can feel uh, the differences while they're being treated. Uh, let me know how you feel. And I don't know is an OK answer. You know, that's perfectly fine because that's that's where sometimes change and learning begins uh, is with I don't know. So right now, uh, the registration for the conference is open uh, for next May. And you're going to do something really interesting here. We were talking about the, uh, the, the lessons learned from 2020 in that there's going to be an in-person version and there's actually going to be a Zoom component. How, how is that going to work? if you're participating in the conference. Yeah, one, one of the lessons we gained as a, uh, an uh, institution of higher education is, is that um, um, it's not, should not be limited just being face-to-face -face or in person. In fact, at times learning can be done better virtually than in person. 
Uh, and so the COVID forced, you know, the world to start looking at new ways of education. And, and, and I think from our perspective within the AT Still Research Institute is that, that all of our programs should become hybrid because we have a greater opportunity to engage the people that we want to, because not everybody's gonna be able to make it to Phoenix um, in May. Uh, so uh, what we're doing is, is so we have only a few uh, presentations. A lot of the work that we're doing in this conference is actually uh, in a group environment so that we're, we're engaging attendees uh, acknowledging that that they have experience, that they have knowledge, uh, and that you know we want them to kind of participate in the process of developing the outcomes from this conference, and that is you know better ways of communication, better understanding of the current evidence associated with the underlying mechanisms to to what we do with our hands, um, and so we will have. Um, um, 300 in-person attendees uh, at our meeting. It is limited to that uh, because of our facility and because of our desire to make it a more personal experience for those that can, can attend pers uh, in person. But also up to 500 people from around the world can also participate uh, live for the meetings as well as to to have uh, the ability to replay the meetings at a, at a more convenient time. Um, so uh, I, I think it's going to really provide the greatest impact the way we've designed uh, this meeting. And you're doing something I find pretty novel here too, in that you mentioned that a lot of these things are going to occur in a group, a smaller group environment, and you're deliberately in the spirit of collaboration, uh, breaking these groups up. So, uh, and I should clarify for the listeners, the five main lanes here are osteopathy, chiropractic, physical therapy, massage therapy, instructional integration. However, if you're a manual therapist who falls between some of those labels and classifications, uh, but you're open to collaboration, come on in, we want you there. Um, so that's perfectly okay. But the, these, these Zoom rooms that we're gonna have for the people participating virtually are gonna also be uh, a swath of all these different professions. And that's kind of exciting. Uh, could you speak to that a bit? Yes. So, um, yeah, our goal, once again, in, in every step of the work that we do within the consortium is to be collaborative and to be interprofessional. Uh, we aren't even going to have labels of our licensing or our degrees behind our names just nice. to take out one more layer of bias that could potentially you know, come into the communication that we're trying to build. That's very European, I approve. <laughs> yeah, once again, uh, we do not want to use education as a way of biasing our, 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 our knowledge and our experience. Um, and so uh, we're, we're very much committed to that, making everyone uh, feeling uh, equal within this platform. So, um, so we will have breakout rooms 
uh, at the University of Arizona School of Medicine who have learning labs specifically for small group learning. Uh, and around each of these small tables are gonna be people from each profession uh, dialoguing over uh, the various topics that we will be presenting that we have been developing over these two years of, of the working groups. That same type of process is gonna happen online. Um, it's going to, we won't be able to do it in as small of group as we are doing in person, but we will still be able to you know, have the interprofessional interaction uh, that anyone would be doing in, at the in-person in, in part of the conference. Yeah, and, and the thing I wanna to mention too is that it's, it's a conference which sounds like an endpoint or a destination. But you and Paul, myself, the other people involved in this on the, on the foundational level, we're looking at this as just the beginning of something that is going to continue to strengthen, grow, and, and hopefully in its own way in the long term, strengthen all our professions and change medicine, if I can be that lofty. Yeah, I, that is definitely the goal. And it's not a goal that's going to happen at one meeting. No. <laughs> and so we, we have a vision of, of an ongoing consortium um, that will help us to, you know, once again, advance patient care, advance, advance our individual professions understandings. You know, having worked, you know, for 13 years in an interprofessional uh, in, uh, integrative medicine clinic, I, I don't, after working with chiropractor, structural integration, massage therapists, I, I can't say I do any of those fields. I'm not any of them, my training. I'm a better osteopathic physician and, and my skills as an osteopathic physician have improved because of those, that understanding, but it doesn't change me or change them into being, you know, just all the same thing. Um, and so, you know, I think sometimes people might get a little concerned that, that what we're doing is just trying to, you know, make us all the same or saying that we're all doing the same thing. That is not the case whatsoever. We all have different roles, different niches within the greater medical environment. And we all have a responsibility to advance patient care, especially, you know, within a, a uh, complementary field that really has pretty minimal adverse events. Yeah, uh, in, so, so once again, I think when we can use our hands to liberate health in the body, um, I, I think whatever we can do to advance that collaboratively is to the advantage of, of, of the global population. Very, very eloquently and well spoken, Brian. So in the show notes, there'll be a link to the conference website, which is icmtconference.org. Uh, as we mentioned, it's uh, open both in person and via Zoom uh, to an international audience. Uh, Brian, anything else you want to say before we sign off for today? Well, I can I can say having worked within this group um, and and having the idea from the very beginning. Every time we get together as a group, I'm even more excited about this than I was when the idea was first started. 
the, 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 the unexpected dynamic nature of the conversations and people's perspectives and understandings is, is so exciting and is so stimulating that I really think that, that anybody who has, you know, a, a, an open mind to be able to, you know, say, well, you know, there's more to the world than just how I do things. And I want to learn and know more about it. I think this environment is going to be tremendously valuable for, for them. And so I, I just want to invite anybody uh, within any, not only the five professions you mentioned, but people who place their hands on the body for therapeutic intentions, they have a purpose and a place in this type of meeting. So uh, all are welcome. And, and we are looking forward to establishing a platform for just ongoing development of this field. Thank you so much for being here on the show today, Brian. And we'll be continuing to update you on how things are going with the ICMT in later installments of Body Talk. Thanks for stopping by. Don't touch that dial. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Body Talk. We had one of our most successful, actually, we had the most successful week ever with over 600 listens last week total throughout the program. We've got about two dozen shows up now. And yes, we are taking a little hiatus for the month of August. We're going to be back with some amazing new programming coming in September. But I'll be dropping a few things through the month of August. Not going to leave you totally hanging in the last month of summer. And in the meantime, if you have comments, questions, suggestions for shows, drop me a line at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com backslash bodytalkradio or just do it through the Patreon app. And of course, remember to click the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of Body Talk and share the show with your body-minded friends. This is David Lasondek saying thanks for listening. And the music, as always, is We're in Love by David and the Disasters. You can find that on Spotify. See you next time on Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe.